Let us pray. Father, thank you that Jesus is indeed our faithful shepherd and the king of love. So now, Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you would speak to us, guide us, lead us more fully into fullness of life in you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here. I'd invite you to take out your Bibles or devices. And as you're doing that, I um, want to mention just that this is the kickoff of our fall education season, which obviously is very different because of COVID and the restrictions we have. But there are so many opportunities, not only for children and youth, but also for adults and not just on Sundays. So please, if you haven't signed up for any of the classes that are available via Zoom, I would very much encourage you to to do that and avail yourselves of that. We also, just to emphasize again, um, Bishop John will be making his annual visit as bishop on Sunday, November 1st, All Saints Day. And we will be having confirmation. Right now, we only have one person signed up. So if you would like to be confirmed or received into membership in All Saints Church, two different processes, but either of those, you can still sign up for that to be received this year on November 1st when Bishop John makes his visit. Otherwise, if that's what you're planning on doing, you'll have to wait another year. Um, but I would encourage you to sign up for that as well. And if you have any questions, you can call the church office, speak to Desiree Barker to get more details about that. My sermon today is a little different. Um, I'm not really preaching from a specific biblical text, and this will not be the norm for me. But going into fall and going into some of the things we were talking about with classes, one of the classes that um, is very near and dear to my heart is one called Embrace the Journey, which is about end-of-life issues and running the race well all the way through to the end for us as believers, to when we go home to be with the Lord. I think for some of us, this COVID crisis and situation has certainly heightened an awareness of those types of issues for us or made us think about them perhaps in ways some of us haven't thought about end-of-life issues in the past. Obviously, it's very real and dear to me, um, not only because I've done a lot of teaching in this area and worked as a hospital chaplain and pastor, but also because of losing my dad after a long battle with cancer back in March. I want to start with reading a couple scriptures. The first one is just Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then Isaiah 46, verses 3 through 4 reminds us, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age. I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, I will carry, and will save. I think anytime we talk about life issues and a biblical worldview on those issues, we have to start with scripture very clearly. And we also have to start with the concept that our worth and value as human beings is assigned to us by God. Did you hear that? The worth and value that we have as human beings is assigned to us by God. 
because he created us in his image, both male and female. That is what scripture teaches. Our value, our worth, our dignity as human beings grows out of that truth that we are created in God's image. And subjectively, sometimes the world or people would seek to somehow diminish that value. And yet objectively, that value is assigned and permanent and lasting because it's not determined by other human beings. It has been established by Almighty God himself. Personal value and dignity is not based upon our level of autonomy that we are able to enjoy versus our dependence on others. In other words, if we are in a situation where we are dependent upon other people at some level for our care, that in no way diminishes the value of our lives as being created in the image of God and in no way diminishes our dignity. Nor does our physical condition that may require radical dependence on other people. Neither is our worth determined by our capacity. This is important. Our capacity for verbal and explicit communication. Simply because someone may be living in a state of reduced mental capacity. In no way diminishes their dignity assigned by God and the value of their lives as human beings. Because they are still people created in almighty God's image. As I've worked with issues of end, around the end of life and actually issues around life in general from conception until natural death, there's a document in the Catholic Church that is an encyclical, which is something that, that popes write from time to time that was written by Pope John Paul II that I'd like to quote from. It's called Evangelium Vitae, which is Latin for the gospel of life. Um, it is a wonderful document. If any of you would like to have access to that, I can send you the link. It's 99 pages, just so you know, um, before uh, you dive in. Um, and it, it's, it hits things at a very high level, on a theoretical level, and also at a very practical level. But it is worth reading. But, but Evangelium Vitae says this. And it uses man rather than men and women. But man's life comes from God. It is his gift, his image and imprint, a sharing of his breath of life. God, therefore, is the sole Lord of this life. Man not, cannot do with it as he wills. As we all know, that value from life extends from the moment of conception until natural death. But, but what does that mean? We hear that said often. What does natural death mean in the 21st century? It's very different than it was perhaps, say, 60 years ago. I mean, the first heart bypass surgery was in 1960. And so there are so many things available to us that are life-sustaining and life-revitalizing that weren't available 50, 60, 75 years ago. And those areas become very complex, Embracing the journey will help us to grapple with some of those things. We live in a world in which the issues and concerns in the realm of natural death continue to grow, as I said, in complexity, but also in scope. It's important, though, that we not start as Christians with specific issues. We don't start with thinking about end of life and advanced directives or the issues around euthanasia and 
so-called assisted suicide or abortion and issues with life in the womb. That's not where we can start. Where we need to start as Christians is with developing and fostering in our lives, a biblical life affirming worldview. So we have this all embracing thought out in light of scripture worldview that is life affirming. And then out of that worldview, out of that biblical perspective, we then process things related to our own lives and related to other issues, moral and ethical issues in our culture that the church needs to speak to. So much of what I'm talking about, again, will be highlighted and embrace the journey. And so many of these things are difficult to discuss. It's often complex. It's confusing. And sometimes, very realistically, it is, seems to be lacking in cut and dry or simple answers. But the reality is, people around us are looking for guidance. We, as believers... So often in grappling with these things are looking for guidance as we grapple with these kinds of challenging issues. And too often in the, in the milieu of the world that we live in, we look or tempted or we are tempted to look or listen in all the wrong places and receive guidance from the wrong sources. I am not an expert in this area, but as a chaplain, and again, working with my own extended family, as a chaplain, I've literally worked with hundreds of families dealing with end-of-life issues, hundreds and hundreds. And these issues are not something that we can simply ignore or avoid. The fact is, and I've seen this time and time again, when families have refused or neglected to grapple with these kinds of issues, it usually doesn't go real well in terms of the family dynamics, in terms of how the dying journey and the grief process plays out. It doesn't go well. These are not issues we can simply ignore or avoid unless Christ returns very soon. The reality is every one of us, every one of us, even the youngest one, the youngest child outside in children's church right now will die. One of my chaplain friends made the comment a number of years ago to me, and made the observation that it's very humbling to realize that 100 years from now, there will essentially be nobody alive who knew, who knew me personally. But that, that is the reality. But these things are very uncomfortable to talk about, especially if we're talking in the context of ourselves or those close to us. And especially when we start to talk about things in real and detailed ways. And those of you who have walked through this know what I'm talking about. Second Timothy chapter four, verses seven through eight, St. Paul writes these words. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. St. Paul wrote these words in an hour where he knew he was reaching the end of his earthly life. He writes knowing that before long, he will be executed, beheaded. He talks about having fought the good fight, having finished the race, and having kept the faith. 
the bottom line is that it is God's will for you and me as believers, for every one of us. It is his will that we run and that we finish the race well. Whatever that looks like in each of our unique circumstances. Finishing well includes dying well. That's uncomfortable to think about, but let me say that again. Finishing well includes dying well. That in our process of physical death, our lives affirm the reality of the gospel and the hope that we have as Christians, as believers in Christ. So what I want to do as we kind of move toward wrapping things up today, I'm not near the end yet, so um, just relax. But what I want to do is look at a couple subject areas, what I will call pastoral principles or practices to help us affirm the reality of Christ and the gospel in our dying and through our physical death. I'm going to pose these as questions and statements, food for thought, and in some ways the answers will be unique to each of us. But, but the first thing to consider is this. And this is not a question, but that dying well as a Christian, helping others around us, close to us, to die well as Christians, facilitates, it makes possible a greater openness to Christ in the gospel in those around us. Maybe even those who don't know Christ. And we need to remember death comes in a multitude of ways. Many times there's not an opportunity to process things over a period of time like the Apostle Paul records. For some of us, there will be that kind of opportunity. For others, we may die very suddenly. We don't control that. God does. But either way, either way, there are things that we can do and be doing strategically, even now, to ensure that we die well in a way that facilitates greater openness to Christ and those around us. It doesn't mean being fixated on death or having some morbid preoccupation. Please don't misread what I'm saying. But we need to understand how our dying impacts those around us, hopefully constructively, in a way that will point others to Christ. Um, To borrow from the ideas of Edwin Friedman, who was not a Christian, but he was a a Jewish psychologist who talked about family systems, but, but what he says here is very valid. Talk about key life events and terminal illness and death being like hinges on a door. Hinges that if we navigate them from a Christian perspective, we'll say in a God-honoring way, they can open families and even new networks of friends and associates to possibilities of wholer or more whole and healthier relationships, both within the family And with God for us as Christians. Or they can lead those moments, those hinges on a door can lead to greater alienation and fragmentation. These key life events, terminal illness, um, crisis situations, death are hinges on a door. And I, again, saw this time after time in chaplaincy where, where those kinds of events became catalytic moments for families really to experience healing, to experience a greater openness to the work of God in their lives. And I also saw a lot of instances where things split apart even more. The doors were shut tighter because of the way people handled and responded to things. So what are some things we should consider as Christians? 
This is certainly not an all-inclusive list. But what I want to discuss here should be helpful to both you and me and to those around us. Let's think about some very practical things. Who do you want, who do I want, if we have control over this, to be with us as much as possible? Think concretely about that. Family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, others from the community, church friends, pastors. And it will vary at different times. What about children? And I'm not talking necessarily adult children, although that may be a very real consideration at times too. But younger children, and, and, and let me say this. Take this for what it's worth. My experience, and I've, you know, I, I'm not an expert again, but I, I did trauma chaplaincy, and in trauma chaplaincy, you deal with a lot of younger people with young children in tragic situations and sometimes dying. But my experience in general, time and time again, has been that younger children actually can handle things far better than we give them credit for in terms of being present with someone who is dying as long as they have the right support network, the right kind of people around them, and that they're prepared for what they're going to see and hear and experience. When my dad died my, back in March, my, my sister, when he'd been terminally ill for quite some time, but when he really hit that point that last day, to, he started to deteriorate very quickly in the afternoon. His breathing changed. And I called my sister, who lives about 30 minutes away from my parents' house. And she had been in earlier, but I said, uh, we weren't necessarily expecting it right then, but things changed very quickly. And I called my sister, and she grabbed her kids, and they came in. They got there shortly after my dad died. But um, while it was certainly surreal in some ways, um, for me, and again, not that my family does everything right, I, please hear my heart in this, but it was so healthy because Eliana and my nieces and nephews, my dad's bed was in the living room because it wouldn't fit in the bedroom. It was a hospital bed and we were there and my dad had died and we were waiting for the funeral director to come and the hospice nurse and then the funeral director to come and we actually sat in the living room with the kids and it was actually a very healthy and, and healing experience, I think, for, for all of them. Eliana had questions. We talked about what she asked questions about. And, um, and it was a very um, sacred moment, a holy moment for us. The kids, if they're, if they're prepped, I think can handle a lot more than we realize. I remember a young girl, this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to say it anyway. Horrible situation. She was about 10 years old, her father had um, shot himself in the head and was going to die. He was in the hospital room and I was there. He had was in the National Guard. His National Guard chaplain was there as was the family's pastor. And we talked with her, especially the pastor and the National Guard chaplain had more of a relationship with her. And she really wanted to go in and it's a pretty difficult scene in those types of situations. And she went in and she stayed in the room for about five minutes. And she said, you know, I think I, I've, I've been in here as long as I want to be. But could I have a chair to sit right outside the room? And she got a chair. And we set her up with someone with her. And she sat right outside of her father's door until he died. Another thing to think about how much, how often, and when do we want to be alone? Who do we want to be there as much as, again, as we can control this? When death seems imminent. 
then a bigger picture question. In what specific ways do you desire, do I desire to live out God's plan for our life during this season? Even when our illness, if it's a long-term illness, may limit us in a variety of ways. But knowing that God is still at work and has a plan and a purpose in our living, even in the process of dying. What kinds of special memories do you want to create with those around you? Are there prayers of blessing that you want to pray over specific individuals? One-on-one or in a group? Are there small things that can be yet profound and life-lasting that you want them to share with you or you want to share with them? What are the things that are most important to you or to the person who's dying during this season? People present, music, specific scripture, read. Where do you want to be as much as is possible? What areas of personal care matter? What do you want your surroundings as much as you can control, as I can control to look like? Another question to ask, these are very practical things. What levels and details of information, both personal and medical, do we want shared and with whom? You know, in the culture we live in, I think one of the downsides, and while there are many positives, there are many downsides to social media. But there used to be this understanding that I feel like has been lost with a lot of people that we have an inner close circle of friends and associates and family members. And that may be very small. Who knows almost everything about us? That may be just a few people. And then we have a slightly larger circle of folks who know a lot about us, but not every intimate detail. And then those concentric circles kind of go out and you have work. And then there are areas like work associates and neighbors and and different things. And somehow, and I'm, you know, um, that sense of privacy has been lost with social media. I'm not talking about hiding dark things and ungodly things, but that sense of, of privacy has been lost. And the lines have been blurred where someone who's a very distant acquaintance on Facebook knows things about me at the same level that my most intimate circle of friends do. And that's not necessarily a healthy thing, especially when we're talking about events like this. So we need to think about things like how much information do we want shared and with whom? Think about what kinds of things will sustain us emotionally and spiritually What boundaries do we want observed and respected? And it's okay to set boundaries and say, no, I don't want that right now. Or this is what I want. And this, but this is the timing I need it in. It's okay and right to do that. Embrace the journey. We'll talk about this a lot more. But how do we want our symptoms managed? Some people want much higher levels of things like pain medication than others do. And there's not necessarily a right or wrong on that. And then finally, in that area, What things need to be said? A book that we use in chaplaincy a lot is written by a man named Ira Byrock. He's not a Christian. Let me be very clear. I don't agree with everything Ira Byrock says. But he does say this in a book entitled The Four Things That Matter Most. And it helps us to think about things that may need to be said. Like, please forgive me. I forgive you. Thank you. I love you, and I would add also goodbye. It's a good thing as we think about our, our lives and possibly 
our deaths, that we think about how we want things said, perhaps in the event of sudden or unexpected death. It may be that you and I want to write notes to folks that are just kept with someone safe, unopened, that can be passed along. This is not a time, though, to unload on people and bash people. This is a time to share affirming things from the heart, to think about life milestones that might be missed. So how we prepare to die actually can be a catalyst for drawing others to Christ. Now let's talk about honoring Christ in death. Once the moment of physical death has come, how do you or I want our life to be celebrated in a way that brings honor to God and which affirms the reality of the gospel? The ACNA service for the burial of the dead states a few things very explicitly that I want to read to you. The burial of a Christian is an occasion of both sorrow and joy. Our sorrow in the face of death and our joy in Jesus' promise of the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. As the burial liturgy proclaims, life is changed, not ended. And when our mortal body lies in death, there is prepared for us a dwelling place eternal in the heavens. Christian burial liturgy, the Christian burial liturgy looks forward to eternal life rather than backward to past events. It does not primarily focus on the achievements or failures of the deceased. Whether it calls us to proclaim the good news of Jesus and his triumph over death as we celebrate the life and witness of the deceased. The reading should always be drawn from the Bible and the prayers and music from the Christian tradition. And then continuing two pages later, the death of a member of the church should be reported as soon as possible to and arrangements for the funeral should be made in consultation with the minister of the congregation. The baptized are properly buried from a church. This burial office is intended for those who have been baptized and profess the Christian faith. We honor Christ in our death. We, in our death, the gospel points people to Christ and his triumph over death. We make space, yes, for personal remembrances. And I think it's important for us all to consider what we want that to look like. Who will be, think about who will be present. Think about our friendship circles, our families, considering both believers and non-believers and what we want them to hear and experience that day as much as is possible. Because whether they are believers or non-believers, the good news of the gospel needs to be lived out through those events. So it's good to plan ahead. What do you do if you think your wishes or concerns might not be honored? It's important to think through who we designate to make those kind of decisions and oversee those things for us. Who do we want to officiate? Who do we want to give eulogies? What music? What scriptures? And again, the focus always on pointing all present, believer and non-believer alike, to hope in Christ. And then finally, some practical matters. Again, this is a very different type of sermon for me than usual, but some practical matters to honor Christ through your wishes. And embrace the journey will help you with this. Thinking through your healthcare preferences from a biblical worldview, advanced directives, things like organ donation and pain management, 
all things that we need to think about in very real ways, in a way that affirms the gospel, in a way that affirms the reality that we in the ACNA as Christians, as biblical Christians, affirm the reality of life from conception until natural death. Running the race, even as St. Paul talked about, running the race well to the end includes dying, whether it's suddenly or through a long process, in a way that points people to the gospel, that points people to Jesus, and points them to the hope we have in him. Not always fun to talk about, very sobering anytime we talk about it, but these are things, brothers and sisters, as believers, we need to think about and process and grapple with in a way that that we affirm who Jesus is in our lives. We affirm that he is our risen Lord, that he is the Lord of life and that we are created in his image. We are God's image bearers and there is nothing, there is nothing that anything or anyone in this world can do to diminish that reality that has been established by God for all time and eternity. Let us pray. Father, I'm mindful of the words even now of St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Where, O grave, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thank you that our life is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to with intentionality and purpose, by your grace, run the race well all the way to the end, affirming the reality of the gospel. Lord, give us grace to grapple with those tough issues and plan for things with intentionality in a way that affirms the gospel of life, that affirms that we are created in your image and that our lives lives are in your hand. Our days are ordered and numbered by you. And Lord, for those who even during this time today may be on their grieving journey and and processing all of this is especially hard because of loss or bereavement in recent years or even that they're facing afresh even now, pour your grace and your peace that passes understanding into our lives. Strengthen us, renew us in hope. And Lord, remind us afresh that for those who are in Christ's Death is not final, but we are essentially and truly translated from this life into the fullness of life eternal with our Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.